that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Those words come from Luke's presentation of the resurrection of Christ. Hello, I'm Wayne Shepherd, and I want you to know that out of that conversation came some of the most amazing teaching this world has ever known. Luke summarized Jesus' response as follows. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, on Encounter God's Truth, our speaker, Bible scholar Dr. John Whitcomb, traces the ancient prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament, going over the very passages that Jesus may have referred to on that walk. Here is today's message on The Coming King. And to these sad, despondent disciples who thought that Jesus was going to be their king, and now he was dead, he said, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all the prophets have spoken. Then what did he say? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he spoke to them of the things concerning himself. Now, we have already seen in Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, in very cryptic form to Adam and Eve to tell them that Satan was not a friend but their enemy, and that a seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve herself, as far as she could tell, maybe her, own, her firstborn child, would crush the serpent's head, would defeat Satan little realizing, of course, that thousands of years would pass by before that could happen on the cross of Calvary. Now, as we jump to the end of the book of Genesis, the first book of Moses was Genesis, we see in chapter 49 another little insight into the person and work of Jesus, our Savior. Listen to these words. As the dying Jacob said to his 12 sons, listen to what will happen in the days to come. Genesis 49.8, he said, Judah, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. And then he comes with this amazing statement in verse 10. Are you ready? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The whole world will surrender to Jesus. Now you say, how do you know that's Jesus? It says Shiloh. Well, Shiloh is a combined Hebrew word based on what the prophet Ezekiel said. Chapter 21 of Ezekiel, verse 25, the last king that sat on the throne of Jerusalem, a descendant of Judah, was Zedekiah. And you, O slain wicked one, said Ezekiel the prophet, the prince of Israel, whose day has come, in the time of the punishment of the end. Thus says the Lord God, remove the turban, take off the crown. In other words, the kingdom is finished and it hasn't been reestablished, friends, for 2,500 years. Listen to this awful denunciation of the last legitimate Davidic king of Jerusalem, Zedekiah. Exalt that which is low, abase that which is high, a ruin, a ruin, a ruin. I shall make it. Now listen, this also will be no more until he comes whose right it is and I shall give it to him. That's Messiah. That is Christ. Yes, 
there'll be no more legitimate king sitting upon the throne until Jesus Christ himself comes, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So when it says here, he, until he comes who's right it is, Eshirloh, that's what Shiloh means, Eshirloh in Hebrew, the one who's coming. And what will happen according to Genesis 49.10? The ruler's staff will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. The whole world will submit to this descendant of Judah, namely the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, jumping ahead to the book of Numbers, listen to what the unwilling false prophet Balaam was forced by God to say concerning Israel. Balak, the king of Moab, was enraged when Balaam, that he hired to curse Israel, instead uttered a blessing. Now listen to this. Numbers 24, verse 17. Balaam said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, and tear down all the sons of Sheth, and Edom shall be a possession, Seir and its enemies shall be a possession, while Israel performs valiantly. One from Jacob shall have dominion, and shall destroy the remnant from the city. Friends, the truly amazing thing about Balaam, this false prophet, is that even though Satan wanted him to curse Israel, according to the command of his host, Balak, the king of Moab, he was forced, against his will, to pronounce a blessing. We remember back there in Genesis chapter 12, when God first called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, he said, Through your seed I will bless them that bless you, and curse them that curse you. Whatever you do, dear friend, don't be on the opposite side of the people of Israel. Not that they're sinless, but they're God's chosen people with a very special purpose in this world, as we should be seeing from time to time in the Old Testament. And remember what Jesus said to those two on the road to Emmaus. He's saying to you and me tonight, wherever you are, whenever it may be in your life, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, spoke of the things concerning himself. Now we've seen, of course, in Genesis already now, Genesis 3, Genesis 49, and here in Numbers chapter 24, that someday a star will come from Jacob, and a scepter shall come from Israel. One from Jacob shall have dominion. And I say, Lord, I want that. I want that. John the Baptist preached, repent for what? The kingdom of heaven's at hand. Jesus sent the twelve, then the seventy. Repent, he said to Israel, for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. It's, it's about to appear. If you believe and accept God's requirement of repentance, which means take God at his word, recognize who God is, and we have sinned, and God is holy, and we need a Savior. Repent, and then you'll be spiritually put into the kingdom now, and physically, in a glorified state, you'll participate in that kingdom that's coming, at which time, what? That star, that scepter, yes, that one who will have dominion, will be unveiled. Now, coming to the last book that Moses wrote, which is Deuteronomy, listen to what he said to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you, Moses said, a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Now, watch the qualification. This one who is Jesus, ultimately, is like Moses having enormous, yes, divine authority in everything he said. You shall listen to him, okay? 
In fact, verse 18 goes on to explain a little bit more. I will raise up a prophet from among you, their countrymen like you, and I will put my words into his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Over and over, Jesus said, I will speak only what my father has told me to say. He was in total harmony with the will and mind of his father. And it shall come to pass, Deuteronomy says in verse 19 of this chapter, it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Well, naturally, people say, well, how do we know? How do we know he's a prophet? That's what the scribes and the Pharisees said to John the Baptist and to Jesus. Who are you? Show us a sign. Confirm your identity. We just don't believe anybody. Now listen to what Deuteronomy says about this. Are you ready? Deuteronomy 18.20 But the prophet who shall speak a word presumptuously in my name. In other words, a false prophet who claims to speak from God but isn't. Which I have not commanded him to speak or which he shall speak in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. That's what chapter 13 of Deuteronomy tells us too, in more specific detail, what to do with a false prophet. Whatever you are, dear friends, don't ever speak falsely about the God of the Bible, and don't listen to anyone who does. You may say in your heart, how shall we know which word the Lord has not spoken? Good question. How do we know it's a false prophet or a true one? And here's one way to tell. Are you ready? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Many of you perhaps have even heard about a so-called prophet who said the second coming of Christ will be at such a day. And obviously it didn't happen. The prophet was completely discredited don't believe people like that because Jesus said the day and the hour no man knows. No man knows that day. So you can tell that the prophet, the prophecy, the prediction was false. You don't have to pay any more attention to a person like that. And I say, Lord, protect me from ever even thinking of saying things to people that are not in harmony with your perfect word. This month, we're viewing Christ in the Scriptures, examining the Old Testament on the basis of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 24. This series shows us clearly once again that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. This survey of the prophecies of the glory of Christ offers a wonderful preparation for our celebration of Thanksgiving. Here in November, we're also meditating on Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. With that in mind, let's go back to the message from Dr. Whitcomb. Remember, friends, that Jesus said to those two on the road to Emmaus after He rose from the dead, that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself in all the Scriptures. Now, we have seen some things He said in Genesis Numbers and Deuteronomy, three of the five books that came from the pen of Moses by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. But what did the prophets have to say about the coming of Jesus? This is truly amazing. The number of prophecies is overwhelming. Let's start with the greatest of the writing prophets, Isaiah. Chapter 4. In that day, verse 2, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. That's a name for Jesus. In Hebrew, Tzemach. 
the tzemach, the branch, he, he's like an extension of the triune God onto planet Earth, a branch of God, will be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth, Jesus came from what? A human being in his incarnation, namely his mother Mary, from whom he received not only his humanity, but also his right to the throne of David, since she was a descendant of David. And so the fruit of the earth will be a, the pride and adornment of the survivors of Israel. And it'll come about that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, namely everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. And so that one who's coming will bring life to everyone who believes in him, Jew and Gentile all over the world when the kingdom comes. Now jumping ahead, we're omitting some passages here. We'll be talking about God willing later on in Isaiah. But Isaiah chapter 11, what a wonderful prediction of Jesus. Listen to this, 11.1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, that's the father of David now, and a branch, Tzemach, in this case Nitzer, a parallel word, a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Now what's this person going to be like? This shoot, this branch that comes from Jesse and comes from God, namely Jesus. Listen to this, Isaiah 11 verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's almost like a seven-branch candelabra. The central stem vertically is the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. He is Spirit-conceived. According to Dr. Luke, you remember, the Spirit of God came upon Mary, from whom she received what? The divine person of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And then the six branches that reach out, three on each side of that central stem. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Jesus has all the answers to every question anyone could ever ask. And I say thank you, Lord, for his qualifications to be my Savior, too. And jumping ahead to Isaiah 42, listen to this statement about Jesus. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him, just like we saw back there in chapter 11. Yes, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. God the Father delighted in no one other than Jesus, his son, the only perfect life this world has ever seen. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. No wonder God the Father loved his son. I put my spirit upon him, that heavenly dove could find no other human to rest upon that was absolutely sinless. And he will bring forth justice to the nations. Are you ready, friends, for justice in this country, in other countries around the world? We can strive, we should strive and pray for those in authority, do everything we can to help. But the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus himself will come and bring justice. In fact, that's what he told us to pray about, isn't it? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, then what? Thy kingdom come, thy kingdom, thy will be done, where? On earth, on this planet, as it is in heaven. And until Jesus comes and the kingdom comes with him, there can't be perfect justice anywhere in this world, because he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice. He's not going to be just a rabble-rouser, nor will he make his voice heard in the street. In fact, look how gentle he is. How merciful! A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. 
he will not be disheartened or crushed until when? Until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly. And I say, well, thank you, Lord, for that reminder that a king is coming who can rule the world in perfection. Friends, there are so many passages in the Old Testament prophets that speak of Messiah Jesus that we have to just refer you to our chart we've prepared called Messianic Prophecies that you can find on our website, sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. Check our webpage, and you'll see that all these passages listed, most of which we don't even have time to look at in this series of studies. But uh, in the moments that remain, let me just refer to something Jeremiah the prophet had to say about the Lord Jesus. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, and we're all interested in what's coming, aren't we? Is the end of the world near? What's going to happen when the end comes and the kingdom comes? When I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, that's that word branch again, referring to the extension of the Godhead into mankind in the person of God's Son. And what's he going to do when he comes? Listen, he will reign as king and act wisely. Are you ready for a king that acts wisely, that makes perfect choices and decisions? And he'll do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Yahweh Sidkenu, our righteousness. He is sinless. He's perfect. He has divine wisdom. He can rule the world himself. And I say, thank you, God, for that. Thank you, thank you. Now, jumping over to the wonderful prophecies of Ezekiel, we read this statement about Jesus. Ezekiel 34, verse 23. Then I'll set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now, careful here, this isn't David himself. It's David's greater son, Jesus, because Jesus all the time referred to himself as the son of David, a descendant of David. Now listen carefully. What's he going to do? I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. You remember Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep follow me, and I give to them eternal life. John chapter 10. My servant David, he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, that's Jesus, will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. God doesn't have a muffled voice, dear friends. He doesn't keep changing his mind. He says, I meant what I said and said exactly what I meant. You can count on my beloved son who will come into the world. And I say, well, thank you, God, for this, these prophecies that we just looked at from Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And then we turn finally for this session to the amazing book of Daniel that tells us in chapter 9 of his marvelous prophecy about coming of Jesus. Yes, he's coming. He's coming, and when you, you shall know from the discern from the beginning of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Daniel 9:25, until Messiah the Prince, that's Jesus. There'll be seven weeks and 62 weeks, it'll be built again with plaza and moat, even in time of distress. And after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. He'll be killed, he'll be crucified, he will die. Amazing prop, we know not, not only who he is, but when he's coming which we can actually chronologically determine. And I say, well, thank you, Lord, for these prophecies. And again, friends, you need to know how many there are. Check the chart we have prepared of Messianic prophecies by turning to our webpage on sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. And friends, may these wonderful things about Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, fill and thrill your mind and heart 
to give you hope in the midst of darkness. The light is coming, the light of the world. Encounter God's Truth with Dr. John Whitcomb is a weekly production of Whitcomb Ministries. Find us online at whitcombministries.org. Dr. Whitcomb, you've been teaching the importance of learning the Old Testament as the background to understanding the New Testament. And since I'm sure there are many new Christians listening to this program, how would you recommend that they begin their study of God's Word? Wayne, this is a very important question, because doubtless thousands of people listening to this broadcast would classify themselves as new Christians who haven't masterminded the whole Bible. And of course, in a sense, all of us are in that position, are we not? How would I recommend that they begin their study of God's Word, especially the Old Testament, is our focus at this moment. First of all, in the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, just before he ascended to heaven, Luke twenty-four forty-four, said to them, to the Christians, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books, and the prophets, beginning with the greatest of the writing prophets, Isaiah, and then Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the twelve minor prophets. And thirdly, note this grouping of the Old Testament books, the Psalms. That would include Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. All these things must be fulfilled. But notice this now. Verse 45, then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Apart from divine help, dear friends, just by pure academic skills or self-discipline or intrinsic brilliance, we cannot master, we can't even begin to understand what God really meant by what he wrote in the only book he's ever written, the Bible. Now, as I turn to the ministry of the Apostle Paul, look how Luke describes the response he had, especially when he went to Berea. Now notice in Acts 17, now these were more noble-minded, these Jews in Berea, than those in Thessalonica, the town he had previously evangelized in northern Greece. Why were they more noble-minded? Listen, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The result, many of them therefore believed. And I say, thank you, God, that's the key. That's the dynamic, what I need. You know, one group of Christians that Paul ministered to was very hard to evangelize, to instruct. And he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 2, these important words. He said, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages for our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. And so I'm so sorry to say that all the great universities in America and around the world that are accredited and reputable, academically high level, reject the basic, simple, clear teachings of the Bible. Isn't that sad? Beginning with Genesis 1.1. For if they had understood it, Paul said, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what is the, what's the answer? Well, to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. We have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining 
spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, comparing scripture with scripture. First of all, dear friend, set aside distractions. Turn off the TV, turn off the radio, turn off things that distract you from God's word. With God's help, with God's help, each day say, Lord, help me this day to read a portion of your word, maybe a portion of Genesis to start with, a portion from the Proverbs or Psalms, maybe a portion from Isaiah or Jeremiah, each day a certain portion. Compare with what you have been studying from the New Testament, which, of course, for a Christian is easier to understand, I'm sure. But the Old Testament is the foundation upon which the New Testament is built. And I say, Lord, help me to see how things fit together properly. 39 books of the Old Testament, the foundation upon which the New Testament is established for the glory of God. So I encourage you, friend, to take God's Word seriously as a major challenge, a major opportunity, a major blessing of your life as a Christian. Begin with Genesis. Go through the Old Testament step by step, asking the Spirit of God to compare spiritual things with spiritual things, trusting Him to show you what He meant by what He said. Before we go, I want to remind you to join us in offering sacrifices of praise during this month of November at facebook.com slash Ministries. And keep viewing Christ in the Scriptures by joining us anytime on sermonaudio.com slash where you'll find the archives of all of our past broadcasts. Now for everyone at Whitcomb Ministries, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Keep your focus on Christ Jesus this Thanksgiving season. Thanks for listening to Encounter God's Truth.